Welcome to May edition of BBRO Bcast. I'm Francesca Broom, your host and Knowledge Exchange Manager for BBRO. Who would have thought back in February when we spoke at the Beat Tech events about the lovely seedbed we had, that here we would be start of May and still there's about 10-15% of the area that drills are waiting to roll. We feel your pain at BBRO, we still have trials that we're waiting to get in so uh, we are all looking to the skies and hoping for a bit of a break in this intermittent rain that we can actually get out there and get drilling finished. Of course a late drilling period does complicate things when it comes to aphids and virus pressure and we are looking very closely at our monitoring systems at BBRO And that's where we're going to catch up with both Professor Mark Stevens and Dr Alistair Wright to find out how BBRO are actively monitoring the crop this year in order to provide you with the very best and timely information. Nice to see you both here at the Centrum building. We're actually outside in the car park because it's one of the best places that we can record here. But uh, so welcome along both of you. We want to actually talk about monitoring sites, what we're doing over the, the summer and the latest news about aphids. So let's start with you first, Mark. Can you please update us as to what is happening? Thank you, Chairs. Uh, clearly, as we head towards uh, the first few days of May, uh, attention is A, trying to get the rest of the crop in, in the ground. But unfortunately, with our early monitoring sites just going out, uh, we have actually just caught the first winged Mises persicae at Morley, Norfolk, with one of the BBRO yellow water pans. Uh, and that is almost on the day as we we're expecting. Rothamsted had predicted, I know with the suction traps, uh, the 24th of uh, April, we think we caught it over the weekend of or up until the 24th. Uh, and, and so clearly things are happening. They have been able to survive and they are as predicted, once again, testament to the science. But as we go into the coming days and weeks, monitoring of the crop is going to be critical uh, because 60% yes is protected by the use of Cruiser SB, but 40% won't be. And unfortunately, with a lot of this crop going in later than we were anticipating because of the, the catchy weather that we've had over recent weeks, it does mean the crop will be at a smaller growth stage when I think the main bulk of aphid activity will occur. But we've also had the cold weather, and surely that has some kind of impact. So uh, we did have the cold weather in December, when we had temperatures right down to minus 10, minus 12 for some. That will have had an impact, but actually critically for aphid survival is what happens in January and February. So although it was cold in December and it caused angst for some with the frost damage, actually aphids have an ability to respond and recover from that, particularly if they're in protected environments or feeding on plants uh, and weeds, which is like a natural antifreeze. Uh, and clearly, January and February, if you look at the long-term weather uh, statistics, were actually warmer than the long-term average, and, uh, and around about 5.5 to 5.8 degrees, uh, which is, as I said, higher. So, it is actually very cold now. Will that yeah, not have had an impact? That, it will only slow things down uh, So uh, by a day or two. So uh, I, I don't really see the conditions we have over the last uh, three or four days at the end of April would have had any really serious consequence on aphid numbers. So as we go into uh, to May, uh, probably really from mid-May onwards, aphids will build 
It's really important to keep an eye on all the BBRO information uh, that you'll hear about more in a moment from Alistair with regard to monitoring, but also bearing in mind the strategies that we have. So we know that the, the neonicotinoid seed treatments will protect the crop for 10 weeks. That may actually now, with the situation we've found ourselves in, provide the necessary protection for that period. But there will be crops that aren't protected, as I said, the 40%, that will need those sprays. We have flunicamid, whether that's tapiki or afinto. You can apply that once, uh, and or acetamiprid in incyst. Uh, and it's really important to make sure you're checking those crops and doing all the necessary assessments. And the industry, BBRO with the NFU and British Sugar, have applied for an emergency authorization for Mavento for those crops that aren't using the seed treatment. So that will hopefully buy a, a third spray uh, at the last position, if needed, as we go through the rest of May and into June. But none of the aphicides can be applied very early, can they? I think we've got to wait till the plant is established to at least two true leaves. Uh, check the label, it's really important. There are some restrictions, but each product will be different. So make sure you do check the label to uh, uh, ensure that. But yes, there's often a, a stipulation post-cotyledon. And it's obviously very important to make sure that you are also spraying to threshold because what you don't yeah. want to do is go and spray too early and waste product on, on the land when you could be giving it another week or so and spraying on plant. Uh, exactly. We learnt a lot from 2020 when sadly we saw large numbers of aphids coming into the crop in March and into early April onwards. Uh, and the challenge we had there uh, was those aphids were coming on to plants that were sort of two, four leaf stage uh, and we know when you have to spray those when you've got to threshold, not a lot of product actually goes onto the target, so the efficacy was compromised. 2023 is very different, but you could argue now is similar to 2020 in the fact that the crop will be small when the main aphids come in. And so it's really making sure we look after the products that we've got and spraying at threshold is critical. Remain as effective for as long as possible before things like beneficials start to build or actually natural decline of the aphid population or we get to the 12 leaf stage of the crop when you start to see mature plant resistance coming in. And you mentioned the BBRO monitoring there. Uh, we're actually going to be doing this twice a week to monitor the aphids and it's very much that we have found aphids in the field. It doesn't mean to go out and spray, does it? Correct. We are only looking at about 40 sites in 2023. Uh, combined effort with BBRO and, and the British Sugar team, uh, one or two agronomists and growers. No, it doesn't, Chez. It means everyone needs to get and check their own field. It's only a guidance and a reference point. You need to check your own fields and assess a minimum of 20 plants, but the more you can do, the better, uh, because then that gives you that confidence that you are at threshold, and, and threshold can vary across the field. Uh, so it's important that you don't use these sprays early. And we are going to make the most of these sites this year because there's 12 special ones, isn't there? There are very special 12 sites, you are correct in there. So in 2023, like we've done for a number of years now, we will have uh, the BBRO sites, the 12 sites that will have the yellow water pans. Those will be emptied twice a week and the contents of those work their way into Norwich and will be assessed looking for the sugar beet aphids and then we'll use diagnostics on those aphids for look for virus. We'll also be assessing uh, plants for green wingless aphids as well 
but then we are doing other things to try and capture as much information to make sure we can give you all the evidence you need to make some further decisions on farm this year. Now don't run away Alistair because this is going to be your area isn't it? You're going to be looking after the information that's coming in from these 12 monitoring sites so tell us a little bit more about what's going on. Certainly Chez. Um Yeah it's a group effort um, but really this year we decided we needed to leverage as much information from our yellow water pan sites as we could. Uh, last year we saw uh, influx of beet moth so uh, Mark has organised some traps so we'll be able to look at the migration of uh, winged moth adults as well uh, and that will be starting in late May. Uh, but my main interest is in the uh, trapping of Cercospora spores. So uh, having seen some uh, very uh, effective little spore traps when I was out in America, uh, we've invested in 12 of those. So um, if you start seeing what look like orange funnels out in the fields, they're actually uh, solar-powered spore traps. So they'll, um, even on a still day, be able to draw some air through them and they've got a really fine mesh that will catch spores, dirt, dust, goodness knows what's in the air, but we'll then be able to, in the future, run them through the lab and work out uh, whether Cercospora was found in the air at the time. They're actually called the Spornados. They are called some Spornados. So, um, yes, uh, hopefully, those of you coming to our beet field events, you'll be able to see them because they'll be a site at every demo farm. But in addition to that, the BBRO team and our, our partners will, will take photos of when they first see uh, the leaf spots. Uh, and we'll be able to work out what the lag period is between spores being caught on the wind, them appearing as spots. And we're partnering with some sand crop stations as well, so we'll have to look at humidity, rainfall, wind speed, uh, leaf wetness, the humidity actually in the canopy too, as well as above it. So, um, yeah, we've got a lot of toys and bits of equipment, and we've spent the afternoon training up the BBRO team uh, on how to deploy it all. But we hope really this monitoring will go on all the way through till harvest starts, and we'll be able to really gain a good picture of the, the status and the health of the crop at these 12 uh, case study sites. And it is amazing to see how technology has moved on, because to try and have a spore trap uh, five years ago would have probably cost us... Quite a lot of money. Ten times as much, yes. Yeah. Um, and it's such a simple, elegant solution. Um, OK, we haven't quite got the resolution that we had with the old clockwork traps. If you so wish, slice them up in the lab into one-hour chunks. But actually, for, for early warning, uh, these will do a great job. So we're gonna... And they are 3D printed, aren't they? They are, th yep, indeed. 3D printed with, some, with the tiniest little fan on the back. Uh, and they've come all the way from Canada. Hopefully, they'll be a really good addition to our monitoring. But... Alongside that, we won't be releasing the data necessarily this year unless we can be very clear that it's robust and we know, you know what's going on. But we are still offering our normal WeatherQuest um, data, aren't we? That's right. So uh, for this year and probably for the next few years, that will be our, our standard because we need years of data uh, really to explore. Is the Cercospora in the UK any different to that in America where the model that we are using was developed? Um, and that is part of the main study. So this year's a one-year pilot, uh, which we hope to roll out next year into a fully-fledged research project. And from that, we'll be able to look at the spores that we've caught both on the air and from the leaves. Are they evolving? Have they become more suited to the UK, to our cooler, wetter climate? Because historically, we shouldn't be a Cercospora-friendly uh, growing area. But uh, we all know in 2020, in addition to the virus yellows problem, uh, we had a big Cercospora outbreak as well. 
And the WeatherQuest system that we tend to use for our forecasting, that is very much on a, a weather forecast that the temperature and the humidity is going to be at the right level. I know we're also watching the Sencrop system, which is an actual in-the-field recording, isn't it? That's right. So uh, what we're doing at the moment, the parameters in the model have come from America. Uh, via Spain, I believe, but uh, it is a, the American model used in North Dakota and it works very effectively out there for triggering secondary and tertiary sprays and as, as I've said before, they can spray up to seven times in a season for Cercospora, so massive problem out there. But for us, we're using it as an early warning for sort of first symptom expression uh, and to trigger a visit to the crop really and see has it got any symptoms of its own because we uh, Due to regulation, you must have symptoms visible on the leaf before you can spray. But we know that damage has already been done at that stage. So anything we can do to give some early warning and or time that spray as soon as spots appear will help protect the canopy. And it has been great to learn from our international and European colleagues because a lot of this information is sort of based on stuff we've seen elsewhere where they've had to struggle. And I know you touched on the beet moth. Um, I believe we're actually getting some pheromones in, aren't we, Mark? Whereabouts are they coming from? So the pheromones are based on work that's been going on elsewhere in Eastern Europe. Yeah. Uh, so we're actually purchasing them from a company in the UK. Uh, but because beet moss has been such a sporadic problem, there hasn't been any body of research or any detail that's uh, uh, really uh, of great value because, unlike, just like the UK, uh, everywhere else we talk in Europe, when we've been at IARB meetings, for example, uh, it's been a, a problem that's come and gone. So uh, we will deploy, you know, the work has been done, fortunately, so there are uh, pheromones. We'll put those on those sites as well. Uh, we know that the critical temperature for moth activity is around about 18 degrees, so the, the moth traps will be going out towards the end of May once they arrive, and then we will be assessing uh, each week right through till probably early October the distribution and build-up of beet moth. Hopefully we don't see any at all. Nothing would uh, make me more happier than seeing blank uh, moth traps for the entire season. Uh, but we just need to be realistic on what happened in 2022 uh, and knowing that they can survive, the larva and pupa can survive right down to minus 14, minus 15. Uh, and so, yeah, these will be really important early warning systems to then advise accordingly. But then we need to find control strategies that will be effective and work. Uh, and we are relatively limited on that from what we have currently, whether it's pyrethroids, but everything that uh, uh, we know to date is once those larvae go into the plant, they're very difficult to stop. So we also, in addition to the monitoring work, will be undertaking some uh, trials where we'll be looking at a range of different compounds uh, and insecticides uh, that hopefully will give us some efficacy and control against beet moth. But again, it'll be watch this space as we go through the season. And the pheromone we're using is actually unique to the actual beet moth itself, isn't it? Correct. So uh, it's a specific chemical that's been identified uh, and that will attract the adult moths into the actual trapping structure and then they'll get caught and then we can count them and assess them. Uh, we actually are doing some work with the University of Greenwich. Uh, they saw some of the work that we had been doing and the concerns we had and they have been supporting some of the work through the winter just to look at and potentially fine-tune the uh, makeup of the pheromone to make sure it's actually species-specific. 
because the beet moth, as many of you probably recall from last year, is a, a little brown, inconsequential moth. But there was one or two reports that the actual pheromone may attract one or two similar related species. So they've been working on making sure that it will only attract the beet moth. So they've just completed their pheromone production on that. And in addition to the work that we'll be doing with the commercial uh, pheromone, we will also be looking at this uh, particular uh, pheromone from Greenwich and comparing the two. And there is going to be only a, a small amount of this available, which is what we're actually accessing, because milk the larva, don't they? <laughs> so, yeah, we're trying to get the signal and the chemical from there to then get a response. So that there, there is some interesting uh, biology going on yeah. to actually produce these. I, I, would, I would like to be in the lab to see when they're trying to do this, <laughs> but, um, yeah. <laughs> I'd rather milk a beet moth than an aphid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably, probably slightly better. But uh, at least it means that we are able to now ramp things up a little bit, yeah. and over the next probably going to be two, three years before we really know um, the extent of the problem. And as you say, hopefully we won't have a, an issue again for many years here in the UK. Well, fingers crossed, but I think we also need forewarned is forearmed. Uh, and what we do need to know is exactly where they are and when they are coming into the crop, because clearly we know there are one or two products that may have efficacy against them. If need be, we may have to go and get an emergency uh, approval for them if it, if it becomes an emergency again but hopefully with the work that we are doing with the wider industry that will identify some tools and approaches that will limit their impact. As we go through the next well 12 weeks for the aphid survey and uh, much longer for the rest of the monitoring we will keep growers updated with things via the advisory bulletin and obviously on the website but uh, just a quick update we've moved the aphid survey to the main front of the website haven't we? Yes we have chairs uh, this is in response to comments we had last year uh, it was behind bbro plus so you did have to remember passwords and everything else uh, we've decided to simplify that process so all you need to do is go onto the bbro website uh, and that information should be right in front of you uh, and you have to click on that and it will bring up the latest aphid map and remember that information is updated on a daily basis as the information comes into the bbro and i think it just leads me to say you know thank you obviously to you two but to the wider team because this is really a team effort. It's uh, you know to go out twice a week to different sites. Some people have got more than one site to manage. Um, so if you see any of the BBRO staff and they're looking a little bit tired, please you know pat them on the back and tell them to, to get out and go and check another site tomorrow. Thank you, Chess. <laughs> Thanks, Chess. So as we enter May, let's hope the April showers are a long way behind us. I do hope you'll join us for our Beetfield events on May the 16th and May the 18th. Details to book are available on the website www.bbro.co.uk forward slash events. And there's one basis point for this month and the number is cp forward slash 125907 forward slash 2223 forward slash K. Thank you very much for listening.